chapter 7, verses 9 through 17 this morning. If you all would stand as I read the Word of God. And here's where John writes to us. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And with all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is God's word for God's people. Praise be to God. Thank you. You may be seated. First of all, I want to thank Kirk for not giving me the passage from last week concerning the 144,000. Rich, you did a good job, so thank you for that. I appreciate that. But honestly, if you had five sermons on verses 1 through 8 of chapter 7 alone, you could probably have five different ways of looking at this passage. Now, with that being said, let's remember the two things we need to keep in mind every week about this study in Revelation. First, we don't know when Jesus is returning. And second, we'd sure better be ready when he does. Return, or remember as well, that there is so much of what Revelation is or can be about. It can be quite mind-boggling, for me at least, anyway. Maybe you all have all the answers to this book, and if you do, I say good for you and bless your heart. Every study I have done, every sermon I have prepared on this book is an adventure, to say the very least. I finished the study for the week or, or the section for that particular week, and I almost feel as though I could tear it up and start all over again, that I did not do it justice the first time around, that I could have approached that particular subject in another way and have been as correct or as incorrect, I suppose. guess that would all depend on who you talk to. Today we're going to look at chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. <clears throat> I had a sermon for this time, uh, for this a title for this sermon, Men in White Robes. And then I got thinking about it as I was sitting there. And it's like, this is just a, an expose on how little I know. So that's probably more a proper title for it. Anyway, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 9 through 17 of chapter 7. Right off the bat, we are having such a precise number of having dealt with last week, the 144,000 we are going to be looking at a totally different number this week. That number, 
is great multitude. Not sure how many that is, but I, I think that's the point. Picture this verse 9 with me, if you will. You have a great multitude of people. Maybe in this case it would be souls. I don't know. But what the, the transformed body is going to look like in heaven, I can't say what that's going to look like. But they are of every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every language, before a throne, my guess is God's throne, and before the Lamb, Jesus. I can only think of perhaps maybe one other time that was like this, that so many people came together as one multitude speaking so many different languages and coming from so many different tribes and people. And that was the day of Pentecost. Now, you say, you got me on the technicality. The Tower of Babel was that way, was it not? We're talking about people being gathered together, not separated, okay? That's, that's the key difference here. If you look at Genesis 11, yes, they did speak in a number of different languages. That's where all the languages came from. But what was God doing with those people? He was separating them. He was dispersing them, dispersing them all over the planet. So there's a difference there. I got you on the technicality. Anyway, we know what happened on the day of Pentecost, don't we? That was the day the church started. That was the day that people came together in one language. And that was the language of the gospel. Who are these people that they're talking about in our scripture reading this morning? These multitudes that are talked about. Yes, uh, we, we could look at that question shortly, and we will. These, these people were dressed in white robes. This great multitude was dressed in white robes. And we'll talk a little bit about that in just a second as well. Plus, they had palm branches in their hands. Key point right there. Let's stop there just a second. If you go back through the Scriptures and you look where, um, where palm branches are used, it's always a time of great celebrating and rejoicing. This is perhaps... Arguably, the greatest celebration and time of rejoicing in all of history. For the evil in the world is now over and gone. Palm branches mean to uh, bring to mind victory that we find in Jesus. You see how everything that we're finding in heaven so far all center around God and Christ? There's a pattern here, isn't there? There's going to continue that way too. And the multitudes are crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Can you envision this? Standing there in the midst of all this, can you envision yourself in the midst of this? Or is it still, like it is for me, too much beyond the imagination to totally grasp? I'm not even we can, sure that we can totally get what worship in heaven is going to look like, quite honestly. Again, with our finite minds, we can only take all of this so far. Anyhow. And yet John is trying his very best to keep it as simple as he possibly can through his description. But I ask you this morning, think about this question. How would you go about describing Every minute detail of perfection. Could you do it? Think about that. 
This is what John is faced with. He is faced with having to describe for us, some 2,000 years later, what perfection is in heaven. If you can do it, again, I go back to what I said earlier. If you know all of this about Revelation, good for you and bless your heart. But, I mean, this, these are things that, you just, that are beyond our comprehension, in my, in my feeling, at least anyway. So let's take a look, uh, look at the robes a second. One commentary I said, or I read, said these robes represent righteousness found in the Lamb Jesus. They could also pertain to our service to God that we will be performing before our Creator. Now let me ask you, why again are we worshiping God in heaven? We've got to be reminded periodically of that, you know. It's something that many of us will get. Many, maybe, will not. But if you consider the gift of life God gave us through Jesus, we should have an eternal gratitude for God for what He has done for us. Don't you think? And that is worth every minute of worship that we can give Him. And you know when that starts? It starts today. Do we take our salvation for granted here on earth? I ask you again, can we really afford to take it for granted? I think not. But again, let's look at this multitude of people who are there worshiping. They are the redeemed of God. I read one man's thinking that it was those who had been saved in the tribulation period. I personally believe that the tribulation period began when Christ ascended and the church began shortly after that, in, in my opinion at least. In my opinion also, there's been tribulation for Christians throughout history, even up to the point where we saw a few weeks ago the seals that destroyed uh, part of the earth and beyond, up to the wicked who were looking for a place to hide from God during this entire process of the world literally almost caving in front on them. They... These people, they were the martyr, okay? What, what had, had that, tribulation, that tribulation been all about? What was the, the, who were these people that faced the tribulation? Well, again, they were the martyred, but they were the ones also who followed Jesus. I think the, the song that we did this morning is picture perfect of that. Think about the thief on the cross, he never even followed Jesus until he was there on the cross. And he gave his life to him right then. And what did, the, what did Jesus promise him that day? That he would be with him in paradise. You see, up to the point of death, heaven is still attainable. And it was for the thief on the cross. But these were also the ones who had believed and had faith in God before Christ came to earth to save us. The Noahs and the Abrahams and the judges and all who place their faith in the love of God. Who do they look like? I don't know. I have no idea. But they spoke every tongue. They came from every nation, from every tribe, just as it was written in this book. This was perhaps arguably salvation's finest hour. Think about that. 
But we, we will revisit this unknown entity known as the great multitude in just a minute. Perhaps, as you all may have picked up already, I've got no idea what I'm talking about. I mean, literally, okay? But let's look at verses 11 and 12. Total, full-scale worship is taking place by all the heavens. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. One called it a sevenfold amen. Now think about this a second. Nowhere in the annals of history has, there, has this ever happened. We as humans have disagreed about almost any and everything since the beginning of time. Or at least since Adam and Eve sinned. One has always tried to outdo the other out of jealousy, pride, you name it, put a title to it, and we've been trying to do it or outdo it ever since. It's not until now, this minute, that the people of God are in one place from all over the globe, for all of history. And it isn't until now that God is totally praised by his people without fear, without pain, without loss, and maybe most especially without disagreement. And it's going to be that way from here on. Is that not a wonderful thought? Furthermore, the slain, slain, I say this wrong every time, say, slay, say slain lamb fast three times. I bet you can't do it. Huh? The slain lamb will sit in victory, never to have to forgive and forget, never to see his blood atone another sin. Ever, ever again. The enemy would have been defeated, and the undeniable truth of that statement was all right there in the countless multitude. But let's revisit the question concerning who these folks in the robes are for just a second. It's kind of an odd question, at least who it's coming from and who it's addressed to, at least in my mind. This is an elder, maybe one of the 24 of of the elders. I, I don't know. One who it seems has been there for a while already asking, it appears, a newbie. John, who just kind of gets there, hadn't even got his bags unpacked yet, okay? And here he is, traversing heaven already, okay? And this guy comes up to him and says, who are all these people? What are they all doing? This might possibly be John's first lesson in the next statement that he makes, okay? This might be, and he just didn't realize it, this could be heavenly orientation 101. John says, Sir, you know, and the lesson begins. These are the people who came out of the great tribulation. Could this be but a snippet of the number of people who are in heaven? Is it possible? Wow, if that's the case, there are going to be some surprised, maybe even disappointed people from other denominations who believe that they were the only ones who were going to make it into heaven. That, that, that all the other folks that they had tried to judge into hell over the years, maybe they had a place there after all. Hmm. What a thought, right? The question has to be asked right here, though. When all is said and done, does what we think on earth really matter? I mean, here they all are. 
Here we all are because we're going to be there. This is talking about us too, in my opinion. But again, maybe that's the point of so many aspects of the revelation not being too terribly specific. No one's going to be able to figure it all out, outside of heaven at least. The next question or lesson perhaps for John, how did their robes get so white? Their robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We've heard this song or perhaps maybe sung songs like this before. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? That was one I grew up singing. Well, yes, brothers and sisters, there's a reason that song is sung. Because that's what's going to happen. Forget Clorox. Forget peroxide. Forget those detergents with all their secret ingredients that may or, not help, uh, may, or may not help your colors get brighter or your whites get whiter. The blood of the Lamb alone has done a number on our robe spiritually that we received when we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives and then when we got the real deal when we got to heaven and could wear it there. We will never need a whitener or a brightener ever again. And yet we need to look at the term great tribulation once more. Some believe that these were the martyrs of the last days before the end as I have said a couple of times before. I again think The important thing to remember here is that this is the group that we want to be a part of no matter what. Call it what you want. Flavor it any way you so choose. I want to be a part of that group. And I want you all to be there too. There'll never be any hungering. No thirsting ever again. Our tears are going to be wiped away. There'll be nothing but joy left for each of us. And you know who's going to see to that? The Lamb, Jesus Christ. He's going to see to it. You know, we've talked before, or perhaps asked a question before, what are we going to be doing in heaven? I know we've talked about this. And we've seen that there will be much worshiping going on. There'll be singing and praising God a whole lot. Is that going to be it? Is that all we're going to be doing? According to verse 15, it looks like that we're going to be having service to our Lord as well. In fact, if we're a part of this great multitude, we, that we will be serving, it says, day and night. Well, we know or have been told that there's going to be no night, as we see in chapter 21 of Revelation, verse 23. There are other places in the Revelation as well that say the same thing. So what gives? On top of that... They will serve him in his temple? Okay, didn't think there'd be any need for a temple in heaven, Elder. What's up with that? It's merely figurative language, in my opinion, as I see it. All of heaven is going to be God's temple. And serving him day and night has a better ring to it than just all the time. Bottom line here, rather than get, up, get caught up again in things that we can sink our teeth into and coming up with possible wrong answers, understand we will be praising God. We will be worshiping Him as only He deserves and he, we will be serving Him in all His glory in heaven. What that looks like, I couldn't tell you. It's beyond me. We have night here to rest. Get away from our labors for a bit. When we hear that there'll be no more night, though a nice little nap here in this life is quite an attraction for me, 
Suffice it to say, God will provide. He always has and he always will. But in heaven, in a far greater way than we could ever imagine. However, and, and there might be the best prom- this might be the best promise of all in verse 15. God will dwell among his people. Just as he used to come to earth and, and walk in the cool of the evening with his creation man, he will dwell among us as well. Can you imagine the feeling that will provide? No more fear. No more anxiety. Just the peace of knowing God, the great shepherd of the sheep, is there among us forever. Jesus is our shepherd now. But that's just a prelude to what that will look like in heaven. It's like partaking of the Lord's Supper when we come together. Where we say often that our partaking here on earth is just a mere glimpse of what that feast will be like in heaven. And remember what Jesus has told us in a couple of those institutions as well, that he will not partake of the fruit of the vine again until when? Until he does it with us in heaven. Charles Spurgeon said this well when he likened our understanding of what heaven will be like. He said it's like the artist making a drawing with his pencil or perhaps a charcoal. It's but a mere outline of the picture uh, at its completion. Nothing more, but one could still guess that the, un, that the unfinished picture, what it will be like from that sketch before you. This will be a place where there will be no more physical need or want, no getting hungry, no more thirsting. The great shepherd will lead his flocks to water to guide them and us to those living springs of water brings to mind to me the conversation with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Remember what he said in verse 10? After Jesus asked her for a drink, he said, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying it to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him for one and he would have given you living water. In, chapter, or in verse 14, he explains that living water will, uh, will produce eternal life. He is that living water. He is that eternal life. He is the source of water for us in heaven as well. And then lastly, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's the promise that God as the protector of his people have promised for a long, long time. From 2 Kings to Isaiah, even twice in this book, know that there will be no more sadness. Can you imagine that much love being poured out upon us? Nothing but joy and rejoicing and worshiping and serving. Not being hungry, not being overheated, never thirsty. The temperature will always be just right. Nobody will need to mess with the thermostat. And that's just what we can get our arms around right now. Think we have it all figured out about how good heaven is going to be? Not even scratching the surface, folks. It's as we have said before. All we can mentally deal with is what we see here in in writing and what we try to surmise 
as best we humanly can. But will we not be able to worry about family and friends who may not make heaven? That's a very, very valid question. It's a fair question, too, I think. Again, I went to Charles Spurgeon on this. He had a thought that might help. He answers this way. At first, he says, I cannot tell you. But he continues with this. I don't believe that there will be one less atom of tenderness, that there will be one fraction less of amiability and love and sympathy. I believe that there will be more but that they will be in some way so refined and purified within us that while compassion for suffering is there, detestation, hatred of sin will be there to balance it, and a state of complete equilibrium shall be attained. Hard to get your mind around all of that, but it makes a great deal of sense. Perfect acquiescence in the divine will is secret to it all. But it's not my business to guess. This is Charles Spurgeon. I don't know what handkerchief the Lord will use, but I do know that he'll wipe away every tear from our faces and those tears among them from our eyes. In other words, as learned a man as Charles Spurgeon was, while he was here on earth anyway, he knew as much as we did. I think he might have a little bit better idea now. Remember what we have said all along, though. We have two things to remember in this study. We do not know when Jesus will return, but we better be preparing along the way. Why? Because we know that he is, in coming, that he is coming back. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 17 through 19... Paul writes to us, If Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile and we're still in our sins. If that's the case, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Furthermore, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are to be pitied. That means as he has promised to return, we believe that he will return to us again. Because as it says in verse 20, But in fact... Christ has returned from the dead. Folks, that says it all right there, doesn't it? In closing, I believe no matter who we are in heaven, what service we'll have or we'll offer ourselves to the great shepherd for when we get there, we will be greater than the mightiest person ever was here on this earth, except for Jesus. And yet, we don't need to wait for God's presence in heaven. He is here through His Holy Spirit, present with us even right now. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Those words were written a long time ago. They are just as pertinent today as they were the day the psalmist wrote them. But it's for right here. For right now. We said this before, but at the moment we believe, the moment, as the song says, we comprehend that amazing grace that we have at our disposal, that is the moment that all these promises become ours to have and to hold on to forever. God will never leave us, 
nor will he forsake us. We're given these glimpses of what heaven will be like. But I ask you, have you made that step toward heaven yet? Have you hungered and thirsted in life for something, anything, and just not found it yet? There's no need to wait any longer. You can find it. Today. Now. Before you leave this place. But I ask you. Heaven or hell? What choice will you make? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of of being able to maybe understand your word a little more. To be able to delve into it a little deeper and and come out for it the better. Maybe not. Um, I don't know. I can't say. Only you working through your Holy Spirit in each heart can answer that question. But I ask you today, if you would, would you continue to bless us with a desire to know you better, to learn more about you, to have that living water that we might never thirst again, to have that living bread that we will never be hungry again. And that bread and water, that's Jesus. So would you bless us to that end today? We ask you in Jesus' name. Okay.